But today, what we're going to start together is one of my favorite books of the Bible. We're going to start the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Philippians, okay? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. Um, and, and then as you, you go a little farther, you get into this section of the New Testament that are, are letters, okay? And um, if you've memorized the acronym like I did as a kid, go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. That's where you find Philippians, right after Ephesians, okay? Um, and, and that's the, the, the letter that we're going to study here for the next few weeks. Now, as I usually do when we start a new book, I'll give you kind of an intro and some background today about Philippians, but we're also going to look at the first 11 verses of this book here today. The, the letter of, of the Philippians to the Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a healthy church. It was a healthy church of maturing Christians, and, and that just so happens to be our goal for South Point. We want our church to be a healthy church that is maturing Christians, okay? And, and all churches share kind of a similar mission. Jesus, when he rose uh, and, and ascended into heaven, he gave what's called the Great Commission. And all churches really share the same Great Commission, which is go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and command them to do all the things that I taught you. That's what Jesus said. Right? And so all churches share that, but then different churches have kind of different f focus, foci, focuses, focus. They have multiple places that they're looking to say, hey, this is what we're called to do. And one of the things that has been on the hearts of the, the leadership team of this church from the very beginning is we really want our church to be healthy and we want people to be transformed and changed. We want them to grow. We don't only want people to come and show up and be about whatever Christian thing is, but we want people to grow, all right? And, and the book of Philippians is the best example of Paul being able to share in the joy of ministry with a church uh, that's functioning how it should be. Most of the letters that Paul had to write were usually dealing with some sort of issue with a church. And as you go through some of the different letters that he wrote, you realize, okay, we've got this problem happening and that problem happening. And you've got this group of people coming in trying to mislead the, the believers. You've got this other thing happening and this division because of this or that, or you've got this taking place and people don't know how to deal with it. And so a lot of times Paul would have to write a letter to, like a letter of correction. And there's usually a lot in it that says, okay, you can't do this anymore. You need to do it that way. This is how it's supposed to be. This is what Jesus said. This is not what Jesus said. And he would sort through those things. Philippians isn't like that. Philippians is very different because he's writing to this church that's healthy. And so instead of having to say, hey, fix that, change that, do this. Instead, he gets to encourage them. And instead, he gets to have this, this joy that's flowing out of him toward this church. It's sometimes been called the epistle of joy. Epistle is just another word for letter, okay? The epistle of joy. Sometimes it's been referred to as the epistle of excellent things. I like that. It's like a letter about good stuff, okay? Um, and in a time that we live in where we hear a lot of bad news and bad things, it's nice every once in a while to find the epistle of excellent things, and he talks about having this, this perspective of joy and righteousness and peace. And we'll see that throughout the, the letter. And it's going to encourage us to live that way. 
live as people of peace, people of joy. But we'll also be challenged as we look at this church. You know, I, I sometimes wonder what the Apostle Paul, what kind of letter he would write to us if he came in on a Sunday and kind of, you know, moseyed about and met you guys and talked to you and showed up at a leadership meeting and saw what we're doing and how we're planning. And as a church, you know, what would Paul say to us? What would that letter be like? Would he, be, would he have a list for us to say, okay, guys, these things are good, but these things, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious about that sometimes. Um, but I do wonder, what would he be excited about as he looked at our church? What would he be concerned about? And it's not that a single person's opinion matters that much, but you have to remember that his goal, the Apostle Paul, he had this goal that the churches um, would, would be fruitful and bring glory to God. That's what Jesus called him to do, to go out and plant these churches and that would, that would grow as they were supposed to. So as we go through this book together, there's kind of two levels that we're going to look at pretty much in every message. And I want you to be thinking this way too. We want to look at it personally, how it individually affects us. How are we challenged in our own spiritual health, but also consider ways that we're to be growing as a church. So, so we look at it at both of those levels all the way through. Um, I also want to encourage you anytime that you're, you're listening to a message and you're going through the Bible, it's good to take notes. Um, we, we gave you guys some journals a few weeks back before we started the Gospel of Luke. If you didn't get one, we'll have some still at the, at the welcome table for you. It's a good practice as you're reading the Bible, you're studying the Bible to write things down. Things that jump out at you, things that catch your attention. It helps you remember, it helps you learn. Um, so I wanna encourage you to do that. And also, if you've got a Bible, it's good to bring it. Okay, it can be, I know we're, we live in a digital world and I use a digital Bible a lot. But on Sundays, you'll usually see me always bring up good old paper Bible. And when I'm reading my own, like in my devotional life, um, I usually try to grab a Bible. Why? Because it's good to underline and mark it up, take notes in it, because God will speak these things to you. And as you go through it over and over again, you learn um, more uh, as, you, as you go on. Okay? So with all of that as a beginning here, let's read the passage we're going to study here today. We're in Philippians Chapter one, we're gonna read the first 11 verses. Are you ready? Feeling good? Everybody's loose, stretched out, minds are sharp. Here we go. Philippians chapter one, verse one. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound 
more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, so there's a lot in here as we begin this this letter. Um, And we'll start right from the beginning and just start working through it. We start off here with the, the signature line of the letter. I don't know that many of us write letters very often anymore. It's mostly text messages now, very informal. There's not a whole lot of greeting, a whole lot of conclusion, a body of the letter. There's, there's not a lot of that. In the ancient world, in this world, way back when, they wouldn't sign a letter at the end of the letter. They'd sign a letter at the beginning of the letter. And so that's what we see here. From the beginning, they let you know, this is the person writing this letter. And we see two names listed here, Paul and Timothy. As I've already alluded to, Paul was the Apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Apostle Paul was a very important character, one of the main characters of the New Testament. All right, the Apostle Paul was radically converted. He was raised as a Jew, born as a Jew, raised to be a Pharisee in the Jewish religious world. And he was zealous for the church. And when Christianity began and when Jesus came on the scene, Paul, whose name at the time was Saul, had not yet come to believe in Jesus. In fact, it was the opposite for him. He went around persecuting the people that were proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And as you go through, it's in the book of Acts. Um, As you go through that in Acts chapter nine, we see this radical conversion that happens. He's, he's actually on a journey to Damascus to go and imprison Christians, to drag them off to jail. And on this path, he see, has an incredible encounter with God. Not only does he you know, hear a message, which he does, he also sees this physically, a, a literal blinding light that blinds him for several days. And he, he falls down here and hears this voice from heaven that that changes everything about who Paul would become. All right, so he has this, this radical conversion that takes place. And, and part of the, the reason that, that Jesus specifically reached out to him was because in such a radical way is because he was going to be radically used. The, the apostle Paul brought the gospel to the rest of the world. Before Paul, most Christianity was only spreading within Jewish circles. They would... It was, it was purely for the Jews, by the Jews. It was a Jewish Messiah. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. Paul, although he was a Jew, would be called to go beyond the Jews into the rest of the world, into the Gentile world. And that's what he did. He preached and established churches throughout the Roman Empire. Now, as he started doing this and, and planting these churches and uh, kind of butting heads with some of the Jewish leaders, what happened was he started making some political enemies. And, and in that rub, that, that difficulty, ultimately he caught the eye of the Roman Empire. Because for the Roman Empire, they wanted all of the people that were underneath their control to just be calm and quiet and out of the way and send in their taxes. And so anytime you had anybody that popped up and started causing some issues or raising a ruckus, what would happen is the, the Rome would be like, no, we're squashing that. 
We don't want to hear about political dissent. We don't want to hear about religious arguments. We don't want to have any problems at all, any way, shape, or form. And so when Paul starts having these interactions with some of the Jewish leaders and and things get noisy and and there start to be different arguments, ultimately, Paul ends up thrown in prison. He's thrown in prison by Rome more than once. All right? And and this particular uh, time, he was imprisoned in Rome in around 62 AD. So about 30 years um, after the death of Jesus is where we're at now. Um, he's, he's thrown into jail in Rome. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Okay, in the New Testament, we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's 27 books. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 of those. All right? And this particular letter, because it was written while he was imprisoned in Rome, is sometimes referred to as one of the prison epistles. Okay? Now, he also says, so we've got Paul, but then we also have someone else that are with him, Timothy. Timothy was a, a faithful ministry partner with Paul. Timothy is the one who received the letters of First and Second Timothy, if you know that those are in your Bible. Okay, Timothy didn't write those letters. He got those letters. This is the same Timothy. This was Paul's kind of son in the faith. He was young when Paul met him, and he followed along with Paul and did some radical ministry. He'd ultimately become the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Okay, um, and that's who is here with Paul in prison as he writes these letters, or uh, this particular letter to the Philippians. And now let's move on then to where it is that they're writing this. It tells us there in verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, I'm gonna give you a little map because some of you love maps. We're gonna try this. We're gonna see if it goes. All right, this is earth. Let's see if it goes any farther than that. It's a video map. This is why we needed to reboot that computer. It's not going, is it? Oh man, I'll show it to you next week. It's worth seeing, okay. So you have no idea where Philippi is. You're not going to know um, today. Uh, if you understand the world, uh, the, the globe a little bit, Philippi is in, Philippi is in Greece, all right? Um, so, uh, it, it, one of the landmarks that even Americans usually know is Italy. It looks like a boot. <laughs> All right. And then there's Italy. If you come across the Mediterranean Sea a little bit farther, you hit Greece. And then there's Turkey over here. Those are the three kind of landmarks that I would have shown you because those are important in the Bible. So Rome is in Italy, the boot. Greece is in the middle. And up in northern Greece is this city called Philippi. Philippi was founded in 368 BC. All right, so that's before Christ, way back when. And it was founded by Philip of Macedon. You may not know his name, but he was the father of Alexander the Great. Okay, now this city had been populated for many centuries before that, but as Philippi, Philippi named for Philip, that's when it was done, okay, 368 BC. It was a strategic business and military site separating Europe from Asia in a mountain pass. All right, what that means is it's a place where a mountain range kind of has a break in the mountains and goes down low and so that you can walk through it um, or travel through it all seasons of the year. Because if you're trying to take your stuff over the mountains and it's snowing and everything else, there's certain times you can't get across. So there's this break in the mountains there that, that dipped down naturally, just the geography. And so they put a city there. 
because that city was strategic both to, to defend militarily, but also as a perfect trade route for the main Roman road to go through. So it was a central route from the east to the west. Um, some of you are super into history. You might recognize the name of Philippi. It's the same place where Mark Antony defeated Brutus and Cassius, all right, for the Roman historians among us, um, if you know that stuff. And Philippi was a Roman colony. That's important because if you were born in Philippi, you were a Roman citizen with all of the, the, the abilities that Roman citizens had. And that made a big difference in the ancient world. Because, see, the reason that Paul ever went there to plant a church is when Paul founded churches, he would usually do it in important cultural centers and, and in places on the trade route. Why? Because it, they had the most exposure to the most amount of people. And it worked as an opportunity for the church to begin spreading throughout the known world. That's what Jesus told them to do. He says, you're going to go. You're going to start here in Jerusalem, but you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to go through the whole world. And for Paul specifically, that, that was his goal. He's like, all right, I'm going to go everywhere that I can speak the language and talk to these people about Jesus. And so that's what he began doing. If, if Paul was to, you know, come to the United States now or to the West Coast now, before Christianity, he would have come and he would have planted a church in San Diego. And then he would have gone up to LA. And then he would have gone to San Francisco. And then he would have gone to Portland. Then he would have gone to Seattle. And those are the places that he would have dropped these churches because what? You've got people from all over the place coming through. It's along a route. It's, it's a good way to spread um, the gospel. And that's what he did. And Paul first came to Philippi on his second missionary journey. And I'm not going to go into all those details. If you're reading Acts, you'll see that happen. Um, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16. Um, in fact, if you really want to know this well, this week, go and read Acts chapter 16, one chapter, and you'll hear about Philippi. This was the first time that Peter, or, I'm sorry, that Paul came to Philippi, and, and you'll hear about this this. Philippian jailer, you'll hear about this servant girl, and you'll hear about this rich businesswoman. All right, those are the people that he interacted with there in Philippi as he started the church. And, and you can learn all those details. And so he first came to Philippi in around 52 AD, but he wrote this from prison in about 63. Okay, now as we keep going here, so it's those who are in Philippi, and who's he writing to? He gives us three words here that we're going to look at. He says, this is to the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. Now, when you hear the word saint, if you have like a Catholic background, you might be like, oh, those, the saints, this are into the saints. Well, I want you to know that's actually not the way Paul's describing this here. When Paul is saying saint, he's talking about just the believers, the Christians, you guys, all right? You're saints. You may not know it, but you're saints. That word saint in the, in the Bible simply means, it's, it's a Greek word called uh, hagioi. It, it just means a holy one, okay? People that are holy. Now, if I asked you all to raise your hand, which one of you are holy here today? Most of you'd be like, eh, I'm not sure how to answer that, right? But we know that we are holy. Holy means being set apart. We're set apart because we're Christians, we're believers. And thankfully, it's not our own righteousness that makes us holy. It's the righteousness of Jesus that makes us holy. All right, and so he's, he's writing to just the church people in Philippi. And he says, this letter is for you. 
I'm writing to you. And with that, though, um, there's, there's, a, there's a distinction, right? There's a distinction being made between those that are believers and not believers. Uh, one commentator wrote it this way, and I think this, this is a good way for Christians to think about it as far as being saints. Here's what he said. He says, it's, it's as a bird is in the air or a fish is in water. We believers exist in a way that is conscious of the encircling presence of Jesus, right? A, a bird isn't thinking about the fact that, oh, I'm in air all the time right now. A fish isn't thinking I'm breathing water. I'm getting my oxygen through my gills in the water. As Christians, we don't necessarily think of ourselves as, whoa, we're holy, but you are, you are. You are encircled by the presence of God. As believers, what we, what we learn in scripture is that when we, the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting all people of sin and unrighteousness. But when we believe and we welcome Christ into our lives, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us. We're soaking in the presence of Jesus as believers. And this is who we are. And yes, that makes us different than the world, but embrace that difference. All right, so it's to the saints, to the people of the church, but then also we get a glimpse into the early church, the way it was organized. And there's two words here that are important. You'll see this in the rest of, uh, of the Bible. Um, the first one is to the overseers. The, the Greek word there is episkopos. That means a, it's sometimes translated as bishop. So in your Bible translation, it might say a bishop. Again, that's kind of a loaded thing. If you come from the Catholic, Catholic background, you're like, oh, the bishop, like that's up there. That's not just a, a priest, that's a bishop. Whew. That's, you know, a step down below the cardinals, a step down below the pope, and there's all this organization involved. Well, the word episkopos, bishop, overseer, appears four times total in the New Testament, right here in Philippians and three other places. In Acts 20, in 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1. The reason I bring that up for you is uh, because in Acts 20, it gives us a little more insight into what this is all about, okay? Um, and it, it shows us there that it's also interchangeable with the word elder, okay? And this helps us understand this a little bit. Uh, elder is a different term. It's presbyteros. It's where the Presbyterian church gets their name. Uh, but in Acts 20, we're going to see it, Paul actually uses them interchangeably, okay? I'm, I'm going to read it for you. Um, bear with me on this. I know this is kind of technical stuff, but it, this is good for you to know. In Acts 20, verses 17 and 18, it says, Now from Miletus, he, this is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. That's the presbyteros, okay? And when they came to him, he said to them, down in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, referring to the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the bishop word again, okay, episkopos. It's the same thing. Hey, you elders, you're overseers. That's what he's saying. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So an overseer or an elder is a person that's appointed to look after the spiritual welfare of God's people, okay? In our context, we usually refer to those people as pastors, okay? So if you're always been confused about what are all these different terms? How does this work? Who's a what? I have to read a name tag or something. An elder, a deacon, an overseer, a pastor, a bishop. I don't know what this is. It's pretty simple. An overseer or an elder is to look after the spiritual welfare of God's people. Overseers were primarily supposed to focus their time on studying and teaching the word, 
and prayer. But as the church grew and got a little more complicated, they knew that they needed additional, an additional role to meet the physical needs of the church. You can read about this also in Acts, in Acts chapter 6. The, the disciples, the 12, well, the, the 11 at first, right, because we lost Judas. At, at the beginning of the church, those 11 were trying to take care of the church. And that was fine when the church was little. But when the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden, boom, the church started blowing up. 3,000 souls getting saved, you know, every other day or whatever. And pretty soon there's all these working parts and all these things. And, and the disciples are trying to teach about Jesus and teach the gospel and pray for the people and do all these things. But eventually they're like, oh my gosh, there's so many people and we're trying to pass out food and take care of people's physical needs and everything else. We can't do it all. And so in Acts chapter six, what they say is, let's find some people that love the Lord, that are full of the Holy Spirit, that can do some of those practical things too. And they raise them up. All right, and those are the first deacons. And that's the next term that we see here. He says, to the, those that are in Philippi, to the overseers and the deacons. The deacons are servants that are selected to give attention to the practical matters of the church. It's still a spiritual role of godly leadership, but with a different primary focus. In our church here at South Point, those roles continue. Um, we just refer to them as the elder team and the leadership team. Uh, if you really want to break it down, that's, what's, that's the, 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 the separation, the difference, the distinction that we make here. The elder team, their primary role is, is to be the word and in prayer. We talk about it in a directional kind of a thing. But then those on the leadership team, those are the hands and feet that are doing a lot of the, the work of the ministry, okay? And, and there's overlap in all those spots. Um, it's not a hard and fast separation, but that's, that's what we see in the scripture. Okay, now, as we go on there into verse three, into verse three, three to five, he says now, is that, that's who he's greeting, that's who he's writing this to. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, I want to, to bring this up a little bit. As I already told you, Paul's relationship with this church was a little different than a lot of the other churches. Um, and the church in Philippi was a source of joy and thanksgiving for him. They kind of had a deeper connection with Paul, a, a friendship almost. This church, and what he's referring to here when he says, you partnered with me in the gospel, he'll tell us later in this letter, this church was the only church that financially supported Paul going about doing his ministry. No other church, he says, had, had, had shared with him in that part of it. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so he would go, that's another reason that he went to these big cities, because he'd go into a big city and he'd set up shop and he would have this little portable um, business that he went around and he'd make the, the, the tents for the, 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 all the different jobs that were done, work with canvas, sales, all that sort of a thing, all right? And so he would go from place to place, he'd save up some money, he'd minister there, and then he'd take that chunk of money, go to the next big city and continue to do his work. But this church said, Paul, you can go faster and you can go farther without having to stop at all these places and set up shop and do the whole business thing and launch a new business again. Instead, what if we help financially support you so that you can come in, you can set up a church and go to the next town? And that's what they did. 
This church had seen the transforming power of the gospel in their lives, and they wanted to support that beyond themselves. And that was one of the primary ways they had partnered with Paul. When we partner with someone, we become part of something bigger than ourselves. That's the point, right? That's part of the reason that people get married, to have a partner for life, to say, life's big, and I would love to be partnered with somebody else to kind of live life going forward with someone else. In Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know that's true, right? It's the simple gospel message. But then it goes on and he says, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? This is that idea. Paul, also writing Romans, says, look, we want people to hear the gospel. We want lives to be changed. We know that if they believe in in Christ, that they'll be saved. But somebody's got to go out there and do it. Somebody's got to be sent. Somebody's got to be supported. Somebody has to do this ministry or it's not going to happen. Now, we know that God is the one ultimately responsible for sending people into the world, but he uses us to do it. He uses the saints to do it. If someone is willing to minister, there are real tangible needs required to support the ministry, and that's the kind of support that Paul received from the church at Philippi, both locally and beyond. And then he goes on and in verse 6, and he says, and, and because of that, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, did the church at Philippi actually go to jail with Paul? No. But what he's saying is, look, we're part of the same team. And when one of us is in jail, we're all in jail. When one of us is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing. When one of us is, is weeping, we're all weeping. But we're all in this together. And you guys are part of this with me. We're together in this. And, and, and that's a beautiful promise that is there in verse 6, both for that church and for us today. That promise that says, look, God who started this in you, he's going to be the one that brings it to completion. And that desire to partner with others in getting the good news out, it comes from the work that God has begun in us. Not only were they excited about seeing the gospel shared outside of their city and missionary work, but as we're also going to learn later, they were advancing the gospel at home. This church was was a, a healthy church. Now, do you realize, sitting here today, I know this is kind of Okay, that feels like a history lesson, trying to understand all this. Trust me, it's going to be useful for you someday. Um, but as you, as you picture that, let's set some of this aside for a minute. Do you all realize that as believers, as Christians, you are all called to do the work of ministry? We're all called to serve our Savior. We're all called to be on mission in the world. There, a, a pastor who wrote a book um, called Not a Fan, he describes it this way. Um, he, he, he puts it this way. He says, we're not just fans of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. What's the difference between a fan and a follower? A, a fan, you know, you, you go to a, a, a soccer match or a football game, a basketball game, whatever. You've got the fans. Where are the fans? They're sitting in the stands, 
except for the crazy ones who jump the fence and do all that, right? They're up in the stands. They're cheering on their team. They're, 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 they're there. They're part of it. But that's very different than those that are actually playing the game, that are on the field, that are, that are doing the work, right? Uh, the, the point that, that Kyle Eidelman, Eidelman makes is he says, look, we're not called to be sitting on the couch watching the game. As Christians, we're all called to be participants. We're to be players. We're involved. We're invested. And we're all called to be on mission into the world. Some people are called to specifically serve their own church, in the church. Others are called to to serve outside of the church. Some go all over the world. Others stay home, but we're all called. And for all of us today, we need to be able to ask ourselves regularly, what is it that God is calling me to do? What is my specific mission on this planet? How am I supposed to do that? How is he empowering me? Where does he want to send me? He didn't just save you to leave you here and wait to come back. Oh, I'll get you later. I already saved you. The reason he leaves us here is because he has things for us to do. He gives us an opportunity to partner with him in in doing the the ministry of the gospel. My my personal calling, I'm called to to preach and to teach and to try to equip the saints, the disciples. I'm specifically called to be in the church. Not all pastors are that way. Some pastors are actually called to be evangelizing outside of the church. I personally believe that my, my role is I'm supposed to be spending time with you. I'm supposed to spend a lot of time with Christians. Others that have more of an evangelistic calling, they're actually supposed to be spending most of their time with non-Christians to bring them into the family of, of Christ. All right? And, and everybody has different, a different calling. The partnership in the gospel, though, is not just for pastors. It's for every Christian. He says it right there in the text. You are all partakers. And each of us are different members of the body of Christ, but each of us are members of the body. Everyone has a place. That's everyone. If you can hear me speaking this morning, that means you, all right? 1 Corinthians 12, the the passage of scripture that talks about us being like the body of Christ, says this about the gifts that we're given. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And listen here to verse seven. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Peter says the same thing in first Peter. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The problem is that when we have an unhealthy view of what our role is in God's plan, all sorts of things start unraveling. We can think of the ministry as, oh, it's only for like the pastors, the professional clergy, and the church is really to try to meet all of my desires and my wants. That's what the church is for. It's to serve me. Well, that's not a partnership. That's, that's no longer being a partner. That's becoming a consumer, right? And that mentality has lodged itself in the minds of a lot of Christians as they bounce around from church to church to church looking for their favorite. 
It's like their favorite restaurant or favorite bar. It's like, I like what this one has, what this one serves. Uh, oh, that one, oh no, I need this one. I like this one better. And they're, they're bouncing around. Um, now, are there legitimate reasons for leaving a church? Totally. Yes, there are. But I will tell you, one of the most common excuses that Christians that do this a lot use it's not, it's kind of a weak excuse. It's kind of like the dog ate my assignment that, you know, people used to say to their teachers. What a lot of people say is, well, I'm just not getting fed. Now, that could be true. There, there, there are some churches that, yeah, that, that may not be the case. But my question as a pastor always is, really? You sure? Or were you just not eating? Were you not coming to the table? No, I went there twice in 2019 and I just, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> okay, all right. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Or did you just want somebody to bottle feed you? Because that's the other thing too. I just want it easy. I want it happy. I want it fast. I want to get it over with. And I don't even want to lift my hands. All right. Well, guys, that's, that's a nursery more than a church. <laughs> that, is that what you're looking for? So, so we have to think about that and we have to understand if, if that's what we're thinking about, we've lost track of it. The Philippian church, they chose to partner with Paul and invest themselves in the work of God. This is why they were growing and maturing because that's one of the things that we all want. We want what he describes here. We want to be these, these people that are flourishing in our spiritual lives. We want to be people that are full of joy and peace. We want to have discernment and understanding and love for other people. We want to be able to share the gospel with others. We want to be free of our addictions and our sins. We want to be free of our fears and our anxieties. We want to live a successful, full Christian life, right? Is it just me? No, it's a lot of us. That's what we want. This is why they were growing and maturing. Isn't that like one of the basic precepts of investing? I'm, I'm not the person to talk to if you want to have wise financial advice of, oh, this is how you get into investing. And this, I don't know that stuff. <laughs> All right, but I do know enough to say the way it's supposed to work is the more you put in, in an ideal situation, is the more you get out. Yes, I know stock markets go up and down and all that, but, but that's the, the general principle, right? As you're investing more in, more can be returned. Your portfolio grows. Partnership in the gospel is part of the path to spiritual growth and maturity. As you invest yourself into the work that God has for you to do, that's part of what helps you grow and mature. And so seeing people in Philippi growing this way brought Paul great joy and affection. And, and as we finish here, let's look at these last, last few verses. We're almost done. Verses eight to 11, he says, God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Isn't that really what you do want for your life? It's what I want for my life. To be pure and blameless before God, abounding in love, filled with the fruit of righteousness, participating with God in his work on the earth. And, and to leave this life and head straight into eternity with joy and peace forever. And to have purpose and direction in my life right now. I think that what happens for a lot of us is we kind of set the bar too low for ourselves. 
And if you're at a spot right now where you feel like life's kind of flat and you're just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of settled into this place and I'm just kind of cruising along and I'm going through the motions and life's not really full of joy and not really excitement. Uh, I mean, that's better than things being really bad. But still, if you just feel like, oh, I'm just kind of uh, hovering here, maybe what God's calling you to is not that kind of a life. Maybe he's calling you to partner with him and step into some other places that can put your roots even deeper and allow you to experience more and understand more. Maybe he's calling you to partner in the work of the gospel. Get involved. So here's a couple practical things as we finish here today. Um, a couple, and I just pulled out three. Are there, could I make 33? Yeah, probably. But here's just three. Um, the first one is what we see right here in the first chapter of Philippians. If you want to partner in the work of the gospel and you don't know how, like what's your first step? Well, number one, here's one of the ways that this church did it is with financial giving. They say your checkbook points to where your heart is. You know, uh, you look at, we don't even use checkbooks anymore. At least I barely do. Um, But you look at your your bank statement or whatever and you say, where am I spending all my money? Oh, this is the stuff that matters to me. And for these people here, they said, one of the things that matters to us is the gospel going. And so they were investing in people that were doing ministry financially. Another way that's practical for you to partner uh, in the gospel is by prayer. And I don't mean just occasionally throwing out a prayer, oh God, bless the church. That's good. We want even those prayers. But no, like the steady, like serious prayer of where you sit down and you're praying for me. You're praying for the people that are serving. You're praying for your brothers and sisters that you know. You're praying for the needs. You're praying for protection. You're praying for guidance. You're praying for for the resources to happen, to to move forward in, in the spiritual realm, real work being done in the spiritual realm. So you can financially give, you can give your prayers. And third, service, ministry, being involved in that way, finding ways to show the love and compassion of Jesus to others using the various gifts that God's given you. Uh, Just this morning, Natalie mentioned, we've got a volunteer opportunity. And at a church, no matter the size of the church, there's always an opportunity to serve. If you are looking for an opportunity to serve and you don't have a, a ministry that you're involved in, there's always a place for you. Right now, you can learn the soundboard. We have places in kids' ministry. We have places for setting up and tearing down. We have, there's, there's always opportunities for that. And we've got to do whatever it is that God's calling us to do. So I hope that this gives you a little glimpse of where we're gonna be going with the letter to the Philippians. And I hope it, it's be going to begin to shape a, a view of what a healthy church can look like. And it all is gonna hinge on us partnering with Jesus in the gospel in the ways that he calls us to. And my my prayer for us is like Paul ended there. May God use us all for his glory and his praise. Amen? Okay.